right. Well, what a sweet welcome. Applause and then symphony behind me. That's awesome. Hey, well, I don't know if you know this. Uh, today is our sixth anniversary in this building, this actual day. Yeah, happy anniversary. Uh, we're 14 years old as a campus, but on this day in 2016, we moved into this building. And by the way, we were so excited, that big garage door, when we put that in, the thought was we'd leave that open and music would go out in the parking lot. And I think it was in week two, we realized it gets really stuffy in here with no air conditioning. Like that big window, it just sucks all the air conditioning out or it's too cold, too hot, too many mosquitoes. But today you are here on a day where it is perfect and you got to enjoy that. So I'm glad that you're here. I want to just jump right in. We're talking about this idea of justice and righteousness. You see, there's certain Greek words that if you understood more of what's actually happening in the original language, it will really make an even bigger difference than it can in the translated version that we have. And so we're talking about a Greek word, dikaiosune, which is translated as justice or righteousness. And see, what happens is in our own life, if we're not careful, we can have really good intentions. But if we're not lined up with God's justice and what he considers right, then we can actually just come across as actually the answer to all the problems. Like as if we know what's best and everyone else might be wrong. You see, when we're talking about righteousness, we're talking about being connected to the one who can decide what is actually right and what's wrong. Otherwise, we'll get stuck in this scenario where everyone has their own opinion and that's what's right to them. Sounds like the modern world in which we live, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but have you ever been stuck in a conflict where both of you thought you knew what was right and you just couldn't seem to get out of it? I shared this story on Wednesday night with our parent support group. It's a support group for parents of teenagers. And this last uh, Wednesday night, I, I just shared about our experience with our daughter. We have a, a, a 19-year-old girl, a young woman now, who's in Paris as a missionary for a year. We have a 22-year-old son who works at Chick-fil-A. So they're both making a big difference in the world, especially if you like that fried chicken. And, um, but Trevi was our really headstrong, strong-willed child. And there were a few years where we were stuck in a battle where we didn't see things eye to eye. She was absolutely right. And I was absolutely right. In fact, what ended up happening for us is we would get into these arguments and they were so predictable. And yet it worked every time. Trevi would be rude to her mom. Then her mom would discipline her. And then she would be rude back, maybe even more so. And then I didn't think her mom did enough. I didn't think my wife stood up enough for herself. So I jumped in to rescue her and I would overreact. And the next thing you know, now I'm in trouble. And Trevi sneaks off to the other room. And it was a pattern. And I started to realize, I think she's doing this on purpose. She's figured us out. See, but we had this, this season of really from about age 11 or 12 to 16 or 17 of just not being on the same page. And every week we would tell her, you have to come to church. You have to come to youth group. You can't skip School on Mondays, you can't skip youth group on Sundays. And she would come just begrudgingly. And it was rough. And it was arguments. And then in 2018, 
I went on sabbatical, and I, I, it was a two-month uh, break that I was able to have. And during that, I really just was praying for God to give me wisdom. How do we get past this impasse? Because I was right, and she was wrong, and we needed to figure this out. How can I get her on my page when she is 15, 16 years old? And so in the midst of that, I was fasting from sugar for 40 days because I've never really fasted from food. But sugar is hard enough. It really is. And I had this idea in the midst of that. See, every time we would start to have meaningful conversations, she would get triggered, which would trigger me or vice versa. And so I wrote her in a journal. Hey, I want to be here for you. I want to be able to talk about anything you want. Why don't we write to each other? And we did. And she would write these things that were really angry and I would read it and I would get triggered and I'd go on a walk and I'd pray and I'd fast for a couple more days. And then I would finally be in the right place to respond. And something remarkable began to happen. It was one of those Sundays she didn't want to be here. She was there in the student room and she encountered God. She didn't tell us about it at the time. She had a conversation with Tara Browder, our pastor of prayer, and with Ricky, our student pastor. They knew about it, and both of them came to me and said, did Trevi tell you what happened today? I said, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. Don't tell me. Let her come to me. Two years later, I finally found out what happened. You see, she didn't want to share what was happening because we were at odds, and what happened is she experienced a, a, a moment where she knew God was real. That he spoke to her, that he helped her know how loved she was. All I knew is that she was a little less resistant in coming the next week. A few months later, she wanted to go to youth camp. She'd never wanted to go to youth camp. A few months later, she signed up for a go team, a trip to Puerto Rico. She'd never wanted to go on a go team trip. And so you can imagine our surprise when she tells us she wants to serve overseas for a year while she figures out what she wants to study. And, and so I thought, well, this is interesting. So I emailed a pastor in Paris and I said, hey, my daughter's looking at serving for a year. Do you know of anyone in Europe that needs an au pair? And he said, actually, my wife and I were talking about that last week. We do. And so we began a conversation and everything got delayed because of COVID. And she's been there now since August. And by the way, it was amazing. I finally found this full story of what God was doing in her life during the quarantine, right? When we were all trapped in our homes. We learned a lot about our daughter during those few months together. In fact, we learned that she had been skipping school back in those days. We were telling her, you can't skip church just like you don't skip school. Uh, well, she managed to figure that one out. But in the midst of all of this, this last year, she's been incredibly stretched watching two, uh, a two-year-old, a four-year-old, and an eight-year-old. Suddenly, she was really grateful for her parents in ways that you can only experience when you're watching other people's kids. And she's been part of the, this choir, and it's been challenging, and it's been really good for her. And in the middle of that, there's been some great times, too. She even got to go skiing for the very first time. We never took her snow skiing, but she got to go skiing, and her first time ever skiing was in the Alps. In fact, we have a video. This is Matthew, her host dad, narrating the adventure down the hill. Okay, recording. Go. Is that his Travy Bryant? Travy Bryant in on the slope. Oh yeah. Woo! Wow. 
Oh là Il va y avoir un accident les deux Oh yeah Tu vas faire un speed Hell fast Tu vas faire un accélération Oh yes That's it A wonderful Wonderful skiing from Texas That's it Oh yeah yeah Many more training bands That's it Look Smile We all need a narrator like Matthew. Isn't that great? This uh, Tomorrow we get to go visit her in Paris. We're cashing in all our miles. Yeah, we're so excited. After a few years of not traveling, we've got enough miles for the two of us, my wife and I, to travel for free. And then we're going to take her to Rome. And Rome is where the Trevi Fountain's located. That, in 1997, Deborah and I were there, the last time we were in Rome. And we saw the Trevi Fountain, and we heard this story about how it was built in the place where this young girl found these thirsty Roman soldiers and saved their life by taking them to the Trevi, the three rivers, right to that location. And we dreamed of this. Maybe one day we might have a little girl that we can name Trevi, who could bring people to the living water. And here's so, what's remarkable. For years, we were not on the same page. But what started to happen, instead of me trying to get her to be on the same page and to make her think the way I think and believe the way I think, God had to do something in me. I began to realize it's not about being right. It's about making things right. See, our relationships with the people around us are more important than anything else. And so often we just get stuck, kind of like what we talked about last week. We get stuck in a more self-centered approach. We talked last week about moving out of being selfish into being selfless with the word kenosis. And today we're addressing about avoiding being self-righteous. See, the word dikaiosune is used 92 times in 85 verses in the New Testament. It's an important idea. More than a third of those references come from the book of Romans. And every chapter in the book of Romans has a reference to this word for justice, for righteousness. So I'm going to give you three quick truths about this word. First, you need to know that God is love. God is at the core, the center of deciding, of choosing what is right, what is just. And you need to understand that God, in his existence, he is love. It's not about emoting love or receiving love or some sort of artistic expression of love. God literally is love. And as the creator of love, he is armed with righteousness and justice. It's just who he is. There's no group think. There's no consensus that needs to determine this. No jury that needs to weigh the case. In fact, when we consider the, the brokenness of humanity and the struggles in our world, of all the injustice, who are we to even think we should tell God we know what's right? Psalm 89 says it like this, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Unfailing love and truth walk before you as attendants. See, God is both love and truth. This righteousness, this justice is who God is. It's the basis for his throne. And he's doused us with love. See, God's entire purpose for acting righteously 
is filled and is being filled with justice and mercy brings us back into right relationship and that he pursues us. And even though we do not deserve to be in his presence, he made a way for you and I to know him, to experience his righteousness. See, number two, we fall short of perfection. We're not perfect. If you're not sure about that, just ask the person you came with today, all right? Or call your mom today. We should always call our mom on Sundays, right? See, none of us are perfect. Now, I know we think we're perfect when it comes to social media, right? We, we, we don't realize we're actually flawed. Our love is flawed. Our understanding of the world is flawed. Even sometimes our view of truth can be flawed. Our view of justice can be flawed. And in fact, our own righteousness, even in our own power, it's actually nothing close to what we long to have. Listen to what it says in Luke 18. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like all these other people robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. He was made right before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted exalted. See, here's what's beautiful. We say no perfect people allowed. What we mean by that is if you and I are just honest about our imperfections, we're actually now in a position for change. Being honest about our imperfections actually puts us in a position to give more grace and bring more dignity to the lives of others. As we realize how much we are dependent on God's love we are more willing to give that love to those around us. See, God's righteousness is a gift to us only in relationship to him. He gives us the freedom to decide whether or not we want that relationship. And when we say yes, his righteousness comes to cover us. See, our righteousness is self-justifying and it causes all sorts of human problems. We need God's righteousness to actually be right with God and to walk with God in a new way. Romans 1.17 says it like this, for in the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the righteousness, righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. See, that leads to the number three, God's justice flows through us. See, there's a humble righteousness we receive from God that helps us not only not be self-righteous like the Pharisees who judge others, by their own standards. It keeps us from failing to see others as less than us. God's righteousness helps put us in right relationship with him, but also in right understanding with the world around us. And as we learn to walk justified by God and in his righteousness, it allows us to bring God's kind of righteousness and justice to earth without being self-righteous or judging others. You know any Christians that have problems with judging others? In the first service, I heard someone say, I had a heckler. He said, all of them, right? And it's true, all of us, all of humanity 
can fall into that trap. We quickly judge other people for the very things we may have struggled with five minutes ago. See, some of us, we've grown so much in our walk with God that we're not struggling with some of the same things others are struggling with, but we don't realize that we look down on them rather than looking at them with the same sort of love and grace that God looked upon us that even helped us get to where we are now. Listen to this passage in Romans 3. And talking about this debate, Paul is, is a Jewish man and he's trying to help other Jews, the, the chosen people of God, discover that God's love is for all of mankind. That's been the message in the Hebrew scriptures all along. And then he says this, so what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Well, not at all, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. Everyone needs God. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There's no fear of God before their eyes. See, when we're honest about the state of humanity, we need help. We struggle. We judge and we fight and we lie, and that's on a good day. But listen to how he continues in verse 22. But there's a righteousness that is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, all who trust him. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as, just, as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. See, when we trust in God, no matter your background, Jew or Gentile, no matter where you come from, we're all on a level playing field. We all need God. We all need his help. We all need a second chance. We all need new life in order to change. I mean, we can try to muster love and, and try to be righteous and, and try to do this on our own, but we'll never be able to measure up even to our own personal standards. But instead, what this passage tells us, and what the scriptures say over and over, is that we can actually clothe ourselves in the righteousness, the right standing, the goodness of God. Several verses, listen to this. Romans 13, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Or in Job 29, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. Or Isaiah 61, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. Psalm 132, let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your godly ones sing for joy. Over and over and over, we see this picture of just putting on this robe of righteousness, this robe of justice, not because of what we do, but because of what he's done for us. It's as if God has given us our very own invisibility cloak. And too often we take it off and we try to do life without it, when in reality, 
the safest place to be is wearing this robe of righteousness that he gives us. It keeps us from being self-righteous. It keeps us from looking down on others. It keeps us in the right place where we are not only right with him, but we know how to be right with others. I want to show you a quick video from the Bible Project, a great resource for you. We'll post this on the Facebook group, the entire video. But I want you just to watch the last two minutes of this video describing justice. Let's watch. Of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty. But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere. Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain power, they often become oppressors themselves. So we all participate in injustice, actively or passively, even unintentionally. We're all the guilty ones. And so this is the surprising message of the biblical story. God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift, the life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did for them. The earliest followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God, not just as a new status, but as a power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways. Yeah, if God declared someone righteous when they didn't deserve it, the only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others. This is a radical way of life, and it's not always convenient or easy. It's courageously making other people's problems my problems. This is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of the ancient prophet Micah. God has told you, humans, what is good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I have to admit, I used to struggle with this idea of the God of justice. And it was hard for me when I would read the Hebrew scriptures and come across prophecies about warnings and woes and of coming judgment. And so these last few years, I've been working through, I uh, bought a new Bible. I was doing kind of a deep dive and to try to understand a little bit better. And I, it's this thick Bible and I had these colored pencils. And every time God was speaking or someone was speaking about God's character, I would highlight it in purple. And then every time I could see a directive, a command, or something that we should do that brings life, I would highlight it in green. And then anytime I would read something that's something we should avoid, something that's destructive, I would highlight it in red. And I've been working on this for three years, and I finished it this morning, just this morning. I was so excited. But I should tell you, some of the things that emerged, I've just come to love the Hebrew scriptures so much. It's brilliant and beautiful. See, what you start to discover over and over and over is that God's judgment is almost always just allowing what those are rebelling want. It's allowing them to have what they want all along. God's punishment is allowing us to reap what we sow. God's punishment is actually simply put the consequences of our action. 
And here's what's really remarkable, that God is so loving and so good that he can even take the evil choices of other people and even the evil choices of our own. And when we turn to him, he can still bring good from it and can even protect us from some of those consequences. So today I was reading Zephaniah. It's not the last book in the Hebrew scriptures, but it's the one I hadn't read yet. And I couldn't have answered probably any trivia questions about Zephaniah. But I was so excited because as I began to read about Zephaniah, I discovered that he was related to Hezekiah, one of my favorite kings in the Hebrew scriptures. And he was actually speaking out in the time of Josiah. In fact, it was 2,601 years ago that one of the greatest spiritual awakenings ever happened. This is a story when as a young man, I loved the story of Josiah. He was a young king, and it was through him that the entire nation of Judah turned back to God. And it was a result of Zephaniah's warnings that this even happened. Even crazier, as I was reading this morning, I discovered that Zephaniah was sharing these messages in the midst of a cultural crisis. See, they had just been attacked, the nation of Judah, by a Scythian army that had just destroyed their land. And I looked up, Scythian to find out where they were from. They're actually from what's now known as Southern Russia. It really struck me this morning. If you've been watching the news and you see the devastation in Ukraine, and you see the word in Ukrainian for child next to buildings that are being bombed, and when you hear the stories of Russian troops who don't even know what they're doing or why they're going in, just being destroyed, and then when you hear that the, the person who's decided to do this quotes Jesus this past week as if Jesus was on his side, it cannot help but make you feel a sense of this is wrong. There needs to be something done to make things right. And what's so remarkable about you as a community is you're doing something about it. If you give to Gateway, you've already been able to help mobilize humanitarian efforts. In fact, Kirby sent us a message this week. He was a part of our staff and he stepped off years ago in order to focus on a, a nonprofit that works in the Ukraine and Russia. And he has friends on, in both countries. And he was in Lviv on the first day that they began to bomb in Western Ukraine. He's fine, but I couldn't help but think when you don't know the people, it's, you don't pray with the quite the same sort of urgency. But when a man's wife asks you to pray while my husband goes into the war zone. I'm here with the four kids as he goes. Would you pray? You pray differently. See, when God makes things right, you should know he will one day make all things right. It helps you realize, wait a minute. Is God possibly loving if he's not also just? See, sometimes God moves slower than we want, but because he is a loving God, he will one day make all things right. And we hear stories of these Ukrainian believers who are praying and, and bombs. They can hear bombs in the air, but they never hear them land. I've heard many stories like this and people loving each other and taking care of each other in ways that they would have never experienced otherwise. We can't understand the devastation, but we also have no idea the amount that God has protected and God's work in the midst of even our wickedness. And here's what we learned from the prophet Zephaniah. 
He lived in a time when chaos reigned, where his nation had been torn to rubble, and yet he finds comfort in a loving God. Listen to what he says in Zephaniah 3. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no wrong. Morning by morning, he dispenses his justice, and every new day he does not fail. Or look at this passage in Zephaniah 3, 17. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Think about that for a moment. God, the creator of the universe, when he thinks of you, sings over you. He is inviting you to trust him to be your mighty warrior, that you never have to take revenge. You can entrust your pain to him. And so what should be our response? Zephaniah 2, 3 says this, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do what he commands, seek righteousness, seek humility. See, God is so good despite our flaws and sins that God actually makes us right with him and then he sends us out to bring righteousness and justice to the world around us. The band's gonna come up and lead us in a song, a chance for us to reflect to connect our hearts with God. But I want to just give you a, a, a few quick ideas of some next steps. First, perhaps you're here and you know that you're not in right standing with God, that you've done things your own way and you sense inside of you a, a longing for something more, a, a desire to experience forgiveness and unconditional love. You can start that relationship with God today. All you have to do is say, God, forgive me. I need what Jesus did on the cross to count for me. Help me follow you. And if you've done that either today or sometime in the recent past and have never declared that publicly, we will celebrate baptism with you. Just come to the Connect spot or use the Connect card. It's a QR code in front of you and let us know. We'll help you in that journey. Or maybe you're here and you realize that I've been, I've been a bit self-righteous. I've been looking down at others. I assume the worst in others. Maybe as we reconnect our hearts to God during the song, it could be handing that person over to the Lord and asking God to help you see him or help you see her the way he does. See, we need to make things right with him so that we can make things right with those around us. It's like going on an airplane. You got to put that mask on yourself first so you can help others put the mask on them. You need to breathe the, the grace and the forgiveness and the love of God so that you can breathe out his kindness and goodness and grace. And maybe it's your next step is looking for some of the wrongs around you that you can make right. Maybe you're in school and you see other kid getting bullied. Maybe it's befriending that person. Or maybe it's at work. It's, it's standing up for people who are being overlooked and helping reform hiring practices where you work that are maybe biased. Or it could be starting to volunteer with one of our networks or serving our kids and students who've been through so much these last two years, like nothing we've experienced growing up. Or maybe it's as simple as inviting a neighbor, a friend, or coworker to join us on a Sunday. We're going to be celebrating Easter all April long. You will be surprised at how open-minded people might be to an invitation in this season. Maybe it's about creating community for people in a very lonely city. Whatever your next step is, allow God to speak to you as we stand together and as we seek him in the song. Let's do that. Stand.